0: This is Residence 104.4 FM, flipping marvellous. How are you doing? Tis I, Nicholas of Hennigan, oh yes, coming at you once more in glorious stereo, 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 uh, on uh, Resonance FM and of course on bohemianbritain.com, the uh, genesis of which I've told you before but I'll remind you again, it's because we've been voted the number two bohemian podcast in the world to follow. Uh, by, uh, was it blog Blogspot? Anyway, one of the <laughs> spots Anyway, yeah. Um, and as I've mentioned before, I got to think, what how, how can you be a successful Bohemian? Does that mean you have, like, two cans of beans instead of one? Is your garret where you create a bit bigger than the next one's garret? So, uh, anyway, Literary London, on Residency FM, was voted the number two uh, podcast to follow in the world. Number one's in New York. Uh, And it just got me thinking. So we've set up BohemianBritain.com, which is a mixture, a mess up, a mess, a glorious get-together of podcasts and reviews and any messy stuff that goes around the Bohemian lifestyle. Uh, And if you'd like to get involved, if you fancy writing a few theatre reviews or book reviews or anything like that, then do let me know. Uh, Probably the easiest way is to email me here, radio at mavericktheatre.com dot radio at MaverickTheatre.co.uk, or go to bohemianbritain.com www.bohemianbritain.com and i think there's a contact us thing there somewhere But, you know, have a look. Yeah, if you'd like to get involved, it'd be great. Also, don't forget, if you're a writer yourself, or you've uh, bought something out, or you're even self-publishing a book, then again, get in touch, because we talk to all sorts of people, uh, which I kind of love doing. You know, there's some very famous writers, and we go to the Welcome and the Booker Prize and all that kind of stuff. But some of the best things we've done have just been chats with local writers, um, many of whom I love. So, do get in touch. It'd be nice to hear from you. Um, I'd like to say hello to Shakespeare. I don't know if you are listening to our previous show. I was at Stratford-upon-Avon at the Royal Shakespeare Company uh, on a course uh, very kindly funded by the Arts Council uh, and Screen Skills. I'm going to get someone in to talk about those. Uh, and I had a little chat uh, by the side. We did our top 10 Shakespeare films, <laughs> or at least films based on Shakespeare's stories. or Was it our top 15, actually? Was it 15? I don't know. It's inflation. I, it might have been. Um, and uh, it, was, uh, it was rather jolly fun. Uh, and I'd like to say hello to Matt Shakespeare, Nobby, yeah. Hello, Nobs. Uh, Nobby apparently takes me to bed with him. Uh, yeah. I, I only know this because in fact he's a mate, <laughs> you know. And I don't mind being in bed with him. I don't mind. I might, I could talk like very gently as well. That might help send him to sleep. Okay. So, anyway, hello, Nobs. Hope you're all right, mate. And uh, I've got to know someone called Shakespeare, aren't I? Verily, forsooth. Um, he um, he lives in South London, so yeah. All right, mate. Nice to see you. But this week on Literary London, we talk about literary Irish. St. Paddy's Day, of course. My name is Hennigan. Surname so, is Hennigan. So what'd you expect? My folks are from uh, County Mayo, a little tiny place, no one's ever heard of, called Bunny Condon, in County Mayo. And uh, we always like—I'm uh, off in a bit, actually, just you know, kick a few heels and sink a few a few a few of the dark uh, pints uh, in a few minutes. But I came across this a while ago, and I played it a while ago, but I thought it was time we should do it now. It's a fascinating interview with a great of Irish literature Uh, and it's from 1962 so it's it's fairly ancient Um, and in many ways very different times to those that we live in today but the legend is Sean O'Casey and so without further ado I want to introduce you to Sean O'Casey discussing his work back in 1962.
1: What happened the first night that the Plough and the Stars opened. I understand that's quite a story.
2: Well, it is quite a story, but it's it's been recited so often that it's um, a bit tedious now, a twice-told tale, you know? Yes. Fixing the dull ear of a drowsy man, that's what the story about the riots that took place in the theatre and the production of the Plough and the Stars is. It was just a violent reaction on the part of the Nationalists that didn't like the critical nature of the play, and assaulted the stage and attacked the actors. And the actors fought back, and Yeats came out and denounced them all and said they, they had misbehaved themselves <laughs> again and finally called in the police because there was no possibility of quelling them. There were hundreds of people, men and women even, trying to get onto the stage and pull the curtains down and wreck the play. <laughs> it wasn't an uncommon occurrence in Ireland. It occurred with <laughs> Sing. Sing's play, the, before mine, the play by the Western world. And it occurred uh, in this old, 19th, uh, uh, 18th century theatre, Smock Alley, In Dublin, when the final end of that theatre was, they set fire to all the chairs (laughs) and furniture, and the whole theatre went up in smoke and fire because they they didn't like a play that was being produced.
1: What is the background to the reason that you won't allow your plays to be put on in Ireland now?
2: Well, it's... uh, there was a festival to be held in Ireland in '58 called The Toastal." It's an Irish word meaning gathering together for entertainment, you know. Toastal. And uh, I was, I'd written a play at the time called The Drums of Father Ned. And the chairman of the committee of the council heard of it and he asked me would I send it to him for consideration, and I said, well, I was very reluctant to do so, but after several letters, I decided to let him see it. And I sent him the script, it was in manuscript at the time, I sent him the script, and he was delighted, it was just the play he wanted, to cap and crown the festival. And that was all right, I was grieving to me, and everything went on all right, till a week before, the, to- oh, a couple of weeks before the Toastal was to begin. And suddenly the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Dublin publicly announced that he wouldn't permit any priest in his diocese to say a vote of mass for the Toastal if any play by O'Casey or Joyce were produced during the event, during the festival. So that started all the pious people protesting. All the religious societies got up on their hind legs and demanded that the play be rejected. And and Joyce's play that was going to be done was to be thrown out. And the committee took fright and worked in such a way that I decided to withdraw the play. And because there was no protest made against the Archbishop's ban, I decided to ban all my plays in Ireland for the future professional performances, and have been banned ever since. I think that Ireland should have at Dublin at least should have protested against the Archbishop's ban on a play that um, a for uh, a play of a dramatist that was an Irishman a damn sight better Irishman than the Archbishop, because at least he knows the language of his country, which the Archbishop doesn't. Not only am I an Irishman, but I'm a Dublin a citizen of Dublin. The play was to be produced in my own city. I think it was an impudent and an uncalled for thing for him to ban a play written by me, one of my best plays, and a play that was hopeful and joyous and gay, there's nothing in it at all that anybody could object to. The hero actually is, 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 is typical of the whole Catholic Church in Ireland, father and heir. He's the dominant spirit in the whole play, urging the people to tidy up their towns, to paint their towns, to bring music to their villages, to bring art and literature. Everywhere that few Irishmen are gathered together, there can be nothing objectionable in that idea, can there? And that was the play he banned. Well, let him ban as much as he likes. (laughs) I can live without the Archbishop's blessing.
1: Do you think the Roman Catholic Church has too much of a control over Ireland?
2: The Roman Catholic control, in my opinion, is too much damn control over the whole world. And there's a special and particular and dominant and absolute control almost over Ireland, over the southern part of Ireland, that is, the Republic of Ireland. It hasn't got control over the northern province, which is mainly a Protestant one. Yes. And very bigoted too. <laughs> one is just as bigoted as the other. They would protest against any play produced in Belfast that would have a laugh at a Protestant clergyman, I suppose, or any Protestant kind of practice. And the others would equally condemn and protest against a play criticising the practices of the Catholic clergy. They're all the damn same. Wherever you get this dogmatic institutional religion, you get division intolerance. It's only when people give up religion or the idea of religion altogether that you begin to get a bit of sense. <laughs> Fair dealing and yeah. decent living. The English people are completely indifferent to religion. At least nine-tenths of them are. By consequence, you can live in peace in England anywhere you go. They don't ask you what you are or where you go or what you believe. They don't care.
1: So you choose to live in here in Turkey. I think the. Or any place in England, England, any place in England,
2: yeah.
1: I'm not looking for a shortcut to playwriting, but what method do you follow when you're writing? For instance, do you you compose on a typewriter?
2: No, I don't compose on a typewriter. I write, I've written all my plays out in longhand, not consecutively, not page by page in a copybook the way many dramatists have done. But jotting down thoughts, and uh, and I couldn't do that when I was working. Yes. You see, then it would be impossible for me to sit down, unless I spent the whole damn night at it. I used to occasionally, a dinner hour, breakfast hour, I used to carry a kind of a book with me and jot down uh, thoughts and bits of dialogue that came into my head on the play that I was working at. And might be the last scene, or it might be the third scene, it might be the first scene. And if I hadn't got the book with me, I'd look about for a scrap of paper and record them there before I went back to work. Then when I went home, I weaved them into the handwritten part, a section of the play. And that was all done. It took me some years. It took me two, two years or so to write Juno. Many years to write The Plough and the Stars. And then I typed them roughly out on a typewriter and amended all that and changed it if I thought a change necessary. And if I didn't like a phrase here, I took it out and put another in, so on, trying to improve it as much as I could. And then I did what I call the final draft, which was sent to the Abbey Theatre. But even even then, when the draft came back and they were published, when I received the first galley proofs from the publisher, I went through that and sometimes I changed a little here and there or added a little phrase that had come into my mind that I thought were recording. And that, I think, concluded the uh, writing of the play. But when the play hadn't been written or wasn't written till the galley proofs were returned, corrected, to the publisher. Then I considered the play written. And that took years of work. But how I was inspired by it, of course, is another thing. I was interested in everything that happened around me, and I'm interested still in everything that happens around me. Although I hadn't uh, what I would call keen sight that normal people have, I had a very keen sense of observation and that gave me keen sight for the little foibles and little gestures and little eccentricities of that individual and the other individual that I never forgot once I saw them. And I had a very cute ear very acute here for any little phrase that interested me. It remained in my mind. I, I usually added to it. Or I wove another a completely different phrase from it. But these phrases that I heard and the things that I saw were recorded in my mind and uh, selected then, added to, or changed to suit my own fanciful idea of what this character or that character might say in the play. It's a never-ending work. You must never separate yourself from life if you're going to write a play. You must be ready to hear everything and anything, because you never know when a person may use an extraordinary and interesting remark. It may be witty, unconsciously in most cases, but consciously to you. And you call that, and you store it up, and you may use it years afterwards.
1: Your female characters, Juno, Nora, and, and Bessie, and others like them, they're always strong, and they seem to be trying to be a binding force in the family. Are these, are these typical of Irish women as you knew them?
2: There are, there are thousands of Junos in the Irish slum. The Irish people are extraordinarily good and kind and generous and self-sacrificing among themselves, the working classes. If you visit the slums, or there's no use of visiting the slums. You have to live among them to know. You can't know them any other way. It's impossible. And if you live among them, you'll find that there are thousands of Junos helping each other helping each other out in any difficulty, in any illness. And if they can't help you positively, they'll help you in other ways by sympathy and kind words. Juno is not an uncommon thing in the slums. but my own mother was a typical example of what a juno could be and was. But there are many more like her in the slums. I knew hundreds of them. I had always a profound respect and regard for them, toiling through life under tremendous difficulties and keeping a bright heart among it all.
1: You were very close to the poet William Butler Yeats. What sort of a man was he?
2: He was romantic about Ireland in his poems, and I think romantic about Ireland in his plays, but he wasn't so romantic uh, about Ireland in the real issues of life that surrounded him and that confronted him. For instance, he wasn't very romantic when he stood on the Abbey stage denouncing the rioters in the Abbey Theatre on the night of the production of the, the Plough and the Stars. He was quite realistic. Yeats could be intensely realistic in dealing with a problem.
1: Why did he write so differently from what he... Uh in in a
2: practical sense. He had been influenced, of course, by the old Irish saga, the old Irish mythical stories of kings and queens, and he wrote very beautifully about them. And he he was a very great poet. Everybody, I think, admits that Yeats was a great poet, as far as I know. A few are beginning to question his, his authenticity, or whatever you call it. As a poet, but I think Yeats and most literary men seem to agree that Yeats was an extraordinarily great poet. But Yeats, as well as being a great poet, was a great man. He's an extraordinary individual. And I don't think Ireland uh, would get his like again for many uh, a long year, anything equal to the great Yeats. And uh, Ireland is... Uh, once Yeats died, the Abbey Theatre died with him. The Abbey Theatre has never been anything like the Abbey Theatre that Yeats and Lady Gregory, of course, uh, led and guided. It has become now a mean, vulgar, commonplace uh, exhibition of itself. I think the Abbey Theatre, I think God Almighty had a hand in um, obliterating the Abbey Theater when he set fire to it, when, when it went up in, in flames. Oddly enough, while the Stars and Stripes was being produced in it. It was reduced to ashes. And the Abbey Theater, as we knew, it is no, no more now. There's not, a, there's not even one of the foundation stones left. They're going to erect this new great theatre costing £250,000, there will be a fine building I'm sure, the necessity that a theatre needs is a play and where are they going to get them? There's nobody writing plays worth a damn in Ireland now. What a great quote. There's no one
0: writing plays in Ireland. I shouldn't do his impersonation, but fascinating, wasn't it? That was the legend, the god that is Sean O'Casey. Uh, discussing his work back in 1962. I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Resonance 104.4 FM. It's Literary London, and we're talking things Irish. What with Paddy's Day. And uh, I thought I must shove in a little bit of WB Yeats, mainly because if you're a regular listener to us on Resonance and on BohemianBritain.com, you'll know we were involved uh, with a local poet who wants to put up a, you know, In fact, he's going to put up um, a, a kind of a celebration of WB Yeats, who spent most of his youth in Bedford Park, which is in uh, Chiswick, really, W4. Um, and so I thought I should read, I should play this for you, because this is, a, again, an old recording back 1937. But it's WB Yeats reading his poem, The Lake Isle of Free. Enjoy.
1: I will arise
3: and go now and go to Innisfree and a small cabin build there of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honey bee, and live alone in the bee glade. And I shall have some peace there, for peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the vales of the morning to where the cricket sings. There midnight's all a glimmer and noon a purple glow an evening full of the Linux wings. I will arise and go now, for always night and day, I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore. While I stand on the roadway, or on the pavement's gray, I hear it in the deep heart's core. Another emblem there, that stormy white but seems a concentration of the sky. And like the soul, it sails into the sight, and in the morning's gone, no man knows why. And it's so lovely that it sets to right, what knowledge of its lack had set awry. So arrogantly pure, a child might think. It can be murdered with a spot of ink. Sound of a stick upon the floor, a sound that somebody that toils from chair to chair, beloved books that famous hands have bound, old marble heads, old pictures everywhere, great rooms where travel men and children found. Content or joy, a last inheritor, where none has reigned but lacked the an name and fame, or out of folly into folly came.
0: That was incredible, wasn't it? Yes, W. B. Yeats reading his poem The Lake Isle of Innisfree, which some people say was inspired by Chiswick 8. Chiticates, a little sort of island on the Thames. If you ever watch the boat race, by the way, but she's coming up again. It's back back in London after the lockdown and the Hammersmith Bridge being closed. It's all reopened now, it's gonna be happening. Um, I'm not gonna be able to make it this year for the first time, because I'm very privileged and proud to be asked to present a charity raffle at Birmingham Repertory Theatre, who is celebrating the fiftieth year of their new theatre being uh, on Broad Street in Birmingham, if you know Birmingham at all. The Repertory Theatre used to be the old rep, and I think actually it was the very first Repertory Theatre company in the world. And any actor that you care to name from the 20s and 30s onwards trained at Birmingham. And I'm really quite proud, really, being a brummy myself, that, uh, that I'm going to be doing uh, the charity auction at the Gala Dinner. You could come along if you like, check out Birmingham Rep. The tickets are £200 each. <clears throat> it out uh or you, i think it's 1200 quid was it two and a half 2400 for a table of 12 check out birminghamrep.co.uk it's obviously worth it for seeing me and no before you ask i'm afraid i haven't got any comps uh but they're a great bunch at birmingham repertory theater and it's a big they're it's a big fundraiser, so I'm very pleased and privileged that I shall be a part of it, even if I can't make it back down for West London in time for the boat race. Save a kidney or two. Hmm? A few brain cells will recover because of that. But uh, yes, yeah, so, so uh, if you'd like to get in touch, having had a couple of classic uh, well, conversations and a poem, WB Yeats, of course it's Cal is a local poet, lives in Chiswick. He was the driving force behind putting up uh, um, a tribute to uh, WB Yeats, who spent most of his boyhood in W4, Turnham Green Terrace. Get off there, turn right. You'll soon see it. By the Tabard Pub, which we all know very well, or at least I didn't know very well. Uh, and uh, well done. Calhull really sort of pushed and drove this thing through. And if you go to the um, uh, podcast at bohemianbritain.com uh, or indeed Literary London YouTube, uh, you'll be able to see Calhull talking about the campaign and what's involved and how he's had to sort of Beaver away to make it happen. But I can report it's all gone well. They managed to raise all the money that he needed. uh, And we're going to get this incredible um, tribute to WBH, who, as I say, spent most of his boyhood in West London. Um, Yes, the, the Lake Isle of Innisfree from 1937, which is why it sounded a bit crackly. Because he's not around, is he? You know what I mean. Yeah, you get it. You get it. So um, let me just remind you as well. If you'd like to get in touch, uh, if you're um, if you fancy writing a few reviews or recording a few things, then uh, get in touch. We've got um, bohemianbritain.com, com, which is a sort of a mess for anyone in the arts. Uh, reviews, podcasts, videos, whatever you fancy. Uh, or if you're a writer yourself, then do get in touch. It's uh, probably easiest to get me through uh, email radio at MaverickTheatre.co.uk. Um, probably best not to send anything through the post because I don't go into the Resonance Studios very often now. Uh, we've got a little address here. This marvelous place that I am at in Hammersmith. Look at the size, hey? Eh? Well, corporate headquarters or the broom cupboard as it's sometimes called. Uh, so it's probably best to email initially, as I say. We, I, I tend not to get the posts nowadays at Resonance FM, something else that's changed over the last couple of years. But uh, yeah, do get in touch. It'd be nice to hear from you. Radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk And that's about it for this Irish slice. I'm off now, as I say, to kick me heels at the moon and sink a couple of pints at the black stuff. Have a fantastic week. I'll see you next time and thank you for your company. Uh, I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Literary London on Residence 104.4 FM.